I believe that veterans are the key to unlocking America's next golden age. By empowering and influencing one million veterans to transition well and become leaders in their communities, we can unlock our country's destiny and continue to change the world. My name is Bernard Bergen. Welcome to another episode of the Veterans Leadership Blog Podcast with U.S. Army Combat Veteran, Phoebe Gavin. Phoebe is currently a Senior Audience Engagement Editor at Think Progress, a news site with over 10 million unique visitors a month. Phoebe spent four and a half years on active duty while stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington, and was deployed for 15 months in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Phoebe holds a bachelor's degree in management, which she earned utilizing her post 9-11 GI Bill. Phoebe, welcome to the show. Let's get started. What would you say to your younger self as you were entering military service? Two things. First, always have a plan B because you don't know when your time in the military will be up. You only have so much control over your military career. You might think like in your mind, I'm going to do one contract and then I'll start a new chapter. Or you might think, oh, I'm a lifer. But then things can really change in a snap. One of my platoon sergeants actually got ended up having to be medically separated in the middle of an enlistment contract because she ended up having brain cancer. And then once they got her to a good place and her cancer was in remission, they medically separated her. And she thought she was a lifer. She's doing well now, thanks be to science. But, you know, I doubt she was planning to get brain cancer and lose the career she loved. You know, she needed to have a plan B. And I also had another sergeant who had a kid shortly before our 15-month deployment to Iraq. He also thought he was a lifer. But after 15 months away from his new baby, he decided that's too much. I can't be away from my kids like that. And all he could think about was how much of her life he was going to miss. And he decided not to re-enlist. And he was totally focused military excellence. I remember having a conversation with him about how he was going to have to spend the last few months of his contract like slamming together a plan for a civilian life because it's just like not the thing that he was expecting to do and that's just like two examples of how things can change in ways that you don't expect if you don't have a plan b in mind kind of at all times you're going to have a really difficult potentially unsuccessful transition if that decision is sort of thrust upon you as opposed to making it yourself in the time frame that you want to have it and in my time working with vets in the time that i've done advocacy with vets i've seen a lot of really sad stories of folks who had difficult transitions ultimately because they didn't actively plan for that next chapter. And that doesn't necessarily mean at all having less of a commitment to the mission. The mission always comes first. But the truth is, eventually, no matter what, you will no longer serve the commander in chief. And you need to always keep yourself prepared for that chapter because you might not get to decide when it starts. I'm blown away because you hit on some truths that I think that many, you know, sweep under the carpet and you gave two great stories. Can I pester you for one more? I think three will kind of seal the deal with our listeners. One more. Um, Well, I think probably myself, I didn't plan enough for what I wanted my next chapter to be as I was ending. I mean, my contract ended a little bit later than I expected. I got extended because I was part of the surge. Tons of people got extended, got their contracts extended, stop loss when they ramped up the mission in Iraq. And I really didn't 
have a clear decision as to whether or not I was going to stay in the military until I got about three quarters of the way through my deployment. And I decided like, I really don't think that this is the best place for me in the long term. And so I was like in Iraq on my phone card calling admissions counselors at colleges in the middle of the night because of the time change, trying to sort of like figure out like, how can I get into a college so that I'm not like having this sort of down year while I wait for college to ramp up. And so that was another one where even still kind of sort of postponing the decision myself put me in a position where I had suboptimal planning because I didn't give myself enough time to do it. It ended up working out okay, but it could have easily ended up working out in a kind of a messy way. Okay. So for our listeners who don't know, and you know, mostly military, mostly veterans, but highlight just what being stop loss means. And also, you know, just talk about your version of a plan B while you serve or even as you prepare to transition? So stop loss, at least the way that it was explained to me when it uh, happened to me when I was in the military, which was in 2007 was when I got stop lost. My contract would have naturally ended in the beginning of 2008, which would have been the end before my deployment actually ended. So in order for me to complete my deployment, which is what my unit needed, which is what the mission needed, many people in my unit ended up being stop loss, which is exactly what it sounds like, stopping the loss of a service member in the middle of an important mission. And so my contract was extended. It should have ended, I think, in February, if I remember correctly. And I was pushed out to August instead so that it kind of just stole some time from my IRR time out of my clock contract and put it on my active duty time. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Not that I would have said, screw my unit, I'm leaving. <laughs> but it's a pretty common practice at that time. I don't think that it really happens anymore because our troop levels are not to a point where they are unsustainable, but it might be something that still happens. Great, great, great. And thanks for uh, deep diving on that. So basically for yourself, you talked about just the need for a plan B. The next question ties into the first one is just, would you have listened to someone walking up to you when you were just joining the service and their advice to you was, look, I served honorably, but my one piece of advice is have a plan B. Do you think your younger self would have listened to that? I think I would have paid attention to that because it just makes too much sense. <laughs> I entered the military from a very sensible, goal-driven place. I didn't want to be stuck in a dead-end town, dead-end job, dead-end life. And I feel like that lack of control is something that you don't think about until it punches you in the face. And wow. this is a piece of opportunity, a piece of advice that gives you the opportunity to sort of put a mouth guard in and protect your chin so you don't get knocked out. <laughs> but, you know, another thing that I wish that I would have told my younger self as I was entering the military military is to take really good care of my body. It takes a big toll on our bodies to, you know, be in the military and to do the work that we do. And we have opportunities along the line to make sure that we're caring for our bodies as we execute the mission. And in my opinion, at least in my experience, you know, those opportunities are not really encouraged the way they should be. Something as simple as make sure you have good shoes, make sure that you're wearing insoles, actually go to the doctor, even if it does mean that you have to go to sick call and people give you a little bit of side eye, you know, if you're feeling pain, take care of your body. Because at the end of the day, once you are no longer serving at the pleasure of the commander in chief, that's the body you're stuck with for the rest of your life. <laughs> and if you're not taking good care of your body, once you get to that point where you have to 
sort of cope with all of the damage that you did over the last four, 10, 20 years, you know, that's going to be difficult for you. And you might have some regrets. I certainly have some regrets along those lines. And then, you know, also taking care of the other parts of the self, you know, taking care of the mind, getting an education, taking care of the heart, making sure that you are caring for, you know, the way that you interact with the world and how you feel about the world and how you feel about yourself, making sure that you're caring about those things. That is something that I wish I would have told my younger self. But that is also a thing that I don't think that I would have paid attention to. <laughs> I was definitely exercising some demons from childhood <laughs> as I was getting into, you know, permanent party and being in the military and being by myself and being so yeah. far away from my parents. And I had very conservative parents who exerted a lot of control over me. I was bullied a lot at school. So I chased a lot of cool as a way to strive for the thing that I thought was important at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what 18 year old me thought was important. Cool. <laughs> and I don't think like a little chit chat with future me would have helped me understand that cool isn't really that important. Wow, <laughs> I had wow. to learn that lesson the hard way. <laughs> I had a couple of near misses just before, you know, I got really dressed down by a very high speed and low drag E5. <laughs> and I really looked up to her. And I think that if I hadn't had that conversation, I probably still would have been exercising some high risk behaviors and focusing on the approval of the wrong people. And had that really hard conversation. She dressed me down and I really deserved it. And um, it kind of flipped a switch for me. And I left all of that nonsense behind in search of personal excellence. And instead of hanging out with, you know, the ate up like a soup sandwich dudes, <laughs> I was really focused on being the very best version of myself that I could possibly be. Wow. So I'm going to unpack it. Took some notes as you were talking and I think you really hit at a high level, you know, mouth guard needed like that resonated with me because you're right. We kind of dive into our careers and, you know, we don't see the end and we treat our bodies like we don't see the end. And you're right. Then you start to uh, have some aches and pains that should be reserved for 50 year olds. And you're like, I'm not 50. So, so I think you really are helping a lot of people understand, yes, you are given your all, but you're also given the tools to make sure that you make it. And I just like how you touched on just the conflict between the younger you and the wiser you and where you guys would meet in the middle on some topics, but on other topics, it would have been a bit of a stretch. And I think people need to hear that. I think, you know, I was stubborn when I first entered the military as well. And just like yourself, without people being in my face, without people reminding me that life or death isn't only for the battle zone, but it's, you know, in your personal life as well. I think without that, like you said, you can't pursue personal excellence. And that's the true goal, you know, of life is just being your best self in each and every way. And I think it brings us into our next question. You touched on it a bit. I want to know if you have more specific advice or counsel for someone who is considering serving right now. Different battlefield, different missions, but of course, you have more insight now. So what would you say to someone who came up to you and said, hey, you know, I'm considering serving. Should I, should I not? What should I think about? I think that it's really important to consider the real reasons and be really intentional about understanding your reasons for joining. It's the most common conversation when you meet someone, whether you're in or after you get out and you meet a veteran is, you know, what do you do? What unit are you in? What's your MOS? Why did you join? And that answer is different for lots and lots of people. Some people, it's a military tradition in their families. For some people, it's patriotism. For some folks like me, completely unabashedly, I joined for the free stuff. I was a poor kid. And the only opportunity that I was really going to have to exit the circumstances that I was in 
was to do this. And by doing this, I would have access to healthcare. I would have access to education. I would have access to a career that had a future. And that is not something that I would have had access to if I would have stayed in Southwest Florida, where the only thing that people do is tourism and tourism related things. And that's not the life that I wanted for myself. And if you are intentional about joining and intentional about your goals and your motivations for joining, you can get the most out of your time when you're in the military, whether that's one contract or staying in for 20 or 30 years. And I think that if you are intentional about that, then you're also going to do some self-reflection because there are plenty of people who get out because they're trying to escape circumstances that were either thrust upon them or circumstances that they created for themselves. There are a lot of folks that I interacted with in my unit who came from rough neighborhoods where they ran with rough people and they realized that they needed to make a change, but they weren't introspective enough to see that the change wasn't just their circumstances, but also the choices that they made and the people that they decided to hang around. And they took whatever hood situation they grew up with and brought it with them to the military and got into trouble because they only knew how to run with the same sorts of people. And they didn't do that introspection to say that I'm trying to get away from this. So I need to make sure I don't bring it with me. Yeah, clearly see that clearly saw that. And I know you spoke about that sergeant who intervened and really helped you see who you could become. Do you think that's the best way for members still serving to make that pivot is to have to hit that hard wall? Or is there a way that we can be intentional or even self-reflective, like right now, if we're currently serving, or even as we've transitioned and, and maybe want better for ourselves, do you think we need to hit that wall? Or is there a way to start that process prior to rock bottom, so to speak? It's an interesting chicken and egg situation, right? Because the people who do that who bring that baggage with them, whatever that baggage is, and it not, might not necessarily be crime or drugs or whatever, it could be other things, whatever baggage they're carrying, you don't realize you're carrying it until it makes you fall down. And even then, sometimes you still get up with it on your back, not realizing it's the thing that made you fall down. And it's not until you have that realization that you start doing that self-reflection and you do something like listen to a podcast like this, read a book, take a course, go to therapy. You know, you do those things after you hit a wall. And so I think the thing that's important is for folks who are already doing those things to find ways to identify those opportunities in others so that you can be that E5 who talked to me and said, I identify excellence, potential for excellence in you, and you are failing yourself by running around the barracks and drinking and partying and doing all of this stuff. You're not living up to your potential. And here are ways that you can access excellence in yourself and grow that excellence in yourself. And so if you're interested in accessing your full potential, then these are some things that you need to change. And being able to have that conversation with others in a really effective way means that you can be that wall instead of getting in trouble, getting arrested, getting pregnant, getting kicked out, wasting time, wasting money, having the bills collectors coming after you. Like instead of that being your wall, it can be a tough conversation with someone who cares about you. Yeah, you nailed it. What I'm always interested in is, you know, and I always ask for feedback on each podcast because I think, you know, the conversation continues. And I think what you just shared is going to help so many service members, so many veterans continue the conversation, you know, because I think you nailed it. Many 
really need to hit the wall before they wake up. I've always been exploring, even in my own life, how to make sure that we're being intentional, we're getting the feedback we need on a daily basis so that we can see when we're a bit slipping from the path that we said we want to journey on. And I think you've given us a lot of things to think about, but also some practical tools on, you know, just address the baggage that you know you have. You know, there's no need to pretend that you aren't carrying what you're carrying. Yeah, it's really important. The people that you invite into your life can be mirrors for you to help you see what you can't see in yourself. And so it's really important to also be open to that feedback. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who gives you criticism is someone that you should listen to, but that you should be willing and able to take that criticism and run it through a reality filter and figure out whether or not it applies. If somebody tells me, oh, you drink too much, I know that's not true because I don't drink ever. <laughs> but if somebody tells me that I should do better at, I don't know, proofreading my emails, I'm actually not that great at that, <laughs> then that's just true. And I need to do better at that. And the more focus I put on increasing that particular skill, creating good habits around that, the more I am able to access the excellence within myself. So it's not just surrounding yourself with people who are doing great things and have already accessed their own excellence, but being willing to make adjustments in your own life so that you can access your own. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like I'm stuck right there and I know I should move on, but helping each other, especially after we take the uniform off, access excellence is very important. And I think at times, maybe even as we transition without knowing it, we set the bar so low versus setting the bar where it should be. And excellence is a key word that highlights to me where that bar should be. Did you want to dive into that statement anymore? Or, or did you want to just jump to the next question? <laughs> oh, whatever makes sense for you, my friend. Uh, I, there's plenty that I could say about accessing excellence. It's something that I focus a lot on in my personal life. I spend a great deal of my media consumption diet is things that make me think better, things that make me access my emotions in a more uh, a healthy way, hacking my thought processes, hacking my habit forming, trying to make myself the most efficient machine that it can possibly be. And the more, and I never regret putting effort into that. And there are so many ways to do it that are easy, that are entertaining, that are fun. And every time I listen to a podcast or I read a book or I take a course and I have that aha moment where I learn about some new bias that is totally hardwired into our brains from prehistoric times, like now I'm aware of a thing that can trip me up and put me in a position where I'm making suboptimal decisions. And now I can be a better person for the rest of my life because I am aware of this little thing. And I think that it's really important to make sure that you're checking in with yourself and seeing like, how can I make myself better? Is there something that I can do? Is there something that I can learn? Is there an area where I can develop so that I can be better? Because today is the day when you learn that thing. And then every tomorrow after that, you're a better version of yourself. Wow. You've left me a bit speechless. I can't say that I disagree in any way. I, we definitely have that in common in terms of, you know, just looking yourself in the mirror, knowing that you can become better, doing the work, making sure each level has a foundation that you can push off of it and go to another level. And I think you just really gave tools from books to podcasts to courses that could help anyone in this space understand what it looks like 
to access their individual excellence. Okay, I'm gonna dive into the next question. And this one usually stumps people, but I, I have a feeling that you're gonna nail this one. One word answer. When I say military transitions, you say? Comprehensive. Whoa, okay. Let's unpack that. <laughs> why well, when why you're that in the word? military, it's your whole life. It's every part of your life is touched by the fact that you are active duty. It's either dictated by the military or heavily influenced by the military from like what you wear, from how you eat, where you live, the way you talk, everything about it is dictated by the military and your service. And you spend years and years and years building your entire identity around your service. And then when you transition, you're not just transitioning your career, you're transitioning your entire life from being in the military to being a civilian. And it's huge. And I think that people really underestimate how huge it is. There's a huge focus in general on the career transition and like education and getting a great job and figuring out what you're going to do. But, and there's a whole self outside of what you do to make money and pay bills that is not addressed in that conversation. Um, even if you golden parachute into an amazing gig, you still need to transition everything else about yourself from top to bottom. And if you're not holistically attentive to your needs, you're going to struggle. If you don't pay attention to your body, if you don't pay attention to your emotional health, if you don't pay attention to your mental health, if you don't pay attention to your social connections, if you don't pay attention to the way that you communicate, if you don't pay attention to your skills, then you could end up in a really great job and get fired <laughs> because you weren't taking care of the rest of yourself so that you could bring your best self to that amazing position that you landed right out of the military. Yeah, yeah, I really love that. And I, you know, I've witnessed that firsthand where, you know, level up as they transition, but you could still see a bit of a uh, drag. And one of my uh, mentors always puts it this way. He's like, it's like you're doing life with your handbrakes on because you didn't address the other parts of who you are. And I think that's a deep answer that many service members need to hear, especially if they're starting their transitions process, because many are going to go 100% on career and forget about themselves, forget about their families, forget about their social connections. And, you know, most importantly, forget about the mind and the emotions and all those other things that you have to work to have uh, quality, holistic health, as you mentioned. Any other thoughts there? I guess I one thing that I really want to dive really hard into is emotional and mental health. And that is one area where I think you know, the military is really failing the folks on active duty by sort of stigmatizing, you know, making sure that you're taking care of yourself in this particular area. And then people carry that shame with them out of the military. And then when they start to struggle in small ways or in big ways, they're far less likely to address those issues in healthy, effective ways. And so it's really important to give yourself permission to need that whatever that salve would be to address whatever issue you're dealing with, whether you're in the military or out of the military, give yourself permission to take care of yourself in that way, because that's going to be a barrier to your excellence. If you are struggling with something big or small, and it's preventing you from being your best self every day that you put off working on that issue is going to be a day that you are not accessing your full excellence. Yeah, that's a great response. And I'm going to just take the time to just echo that. If you are ignoring your emotional or mental well-being, I don't care how hard you work at everything else, 
I think it was said and said, well, you won't be able to access your best self to access your excellence because you would have let these barriers to excellence, brokenness emotionally, brokenness in your mental health and your inner well-being. If you let that stuff linger, I don't care what you do to succeed, you're going to face these issues in a hard way. Yeah, and it's really important not to listen to you because there are folks, there are folks in the veterans community now who are like kind of toxic and will sort of poo-poo this issue. And it's really important not to listen to those folks because those are not the people who are going to be there when whatever your situation is exacerbates itself to where it's a breaking point. Like those are not going to be the people who are there for you in those moments. So it's really important not to listen to folks who are poo-pooing this, who are discouraging people from getting assistance, who make fun of people who get assistance, who take care of themselves in this way, don't pay attention to those folks because they are toxic. They're not good for our community and they're not good for you. And if you're one of those people, stop it. I echo that. I echo that completely. If you're one of those people that brings shame to people who need help holistically, you need to go ahead and uh, you know give yourself the order to stop. Did you want to continue on that this topic a bit more or did you want to transition into the next question? Let's go on to the next one. All right. All right. So tell us about your career now and tell us about, most importantly, what excites you about your current career? Okay. So my official title is Senior Audience Engagement Editor for Think Progress, which is a progressive news site, one of the biggest in the field. And my, I'm essentially a high-level social media manager. My job is to create and execute comprehensive growth strategies across our site. And our site is visited by over 10 million unique visitors a month. So that is no small task. Social media is the biggest part of that, but I also have my hands in a lot of other buckets that affect audience growth and site growth. And I love my job. I've always been fascinated by how people work, how people think, how they make decisions, how they develop opinions and habits. You know, the human brain is just a fascinating thing. And with this job, I get really unique insight into what people do online. People like to make fun of social media management as a job, like it's frivolous, like, oh, you write tweets and scroll Facebook for a living, must be nice. But it's actually a very complex position and doing it well requires you to execute on a lot of very complex skills on a very high level. Cognitive science, behavioral economics, social psychology, data science, consumer behavior, graphic design, user experience, Microsoft Excel, Jitsu, like all of these things are things that I have to execute on on a very high level all the time. It's a very complex job and I really, really love doing it. My favorite saying is the most honest thing you do all day is click on something. And every day there's just trillions of tiny conversations happening between people and their devices. And folks who do what I do get to be flies on the wall and we get to see like, oh, people like this. They don't like this. They like this, but they don't want anyone to know they like it. They don't like this, but they want people to think they like this. And it's just endlessly interesting. And especially working for the kind of organization I work for, which is mission driven and cares deeply about helping people gain equal access to the opportunity structures that exist in this country. It's really rewarding to use all of those skills to try to make the world better. For people who are struggling, who haven't really been able to get a fair opportunity to succeed, people whose stories are normally discounted or ignored. And so I get to sort of use my social media to uplift their stories to the widest possible audience. And it feels incredibly impactful. And especially with an audience as big as ours, it's a really powerful thing to have access to. Absolutely. Yeah, the numbers and the, the skill set, it's very much in demand and very revealing. What challenged you to seek out this role? Or was this more of just a design fit as you started to just level up your skills and continue to chase excellence in your career? 
oh, it was a complete accident. I totally tripped and fell into this. I actually went to school for fashion management, and I really loved the logistics behind how the things that you buy in stores get there. It's another job that people would like poo-poo as frivolous, but it's actually really important. Like you're wearing clothes right now and someone, there was a lot happened between you wearing them and somebody thinking of them. And um, I learned a lot about marketing, consumer behavior, and that was super fascinating to me. And at the same time, I was volunteering with a veterans organization and using very similar skills to do community building. And I found I loved the skills I loved the community building and I wanted to put those two things together. And so after I graduated with a really lovely degree that I'm very knowledgeable about textiles, <laughs> I'm very knowledgeable about colors, but I'm also very knowledgeable about how consumers make decisions. And so um, I was able to use those skills in a full-time position in the veteran space, helping doing community building, helping people get more involved with this organization. And then I started doing a lot of writing and I sort of applied all of those skills to those that writing. I ended up going to a media company and doing a bunch of writing for them also for social good. And then after that, I ended and I, at that position, I learned a lot about social media management. And it, I brought all of those things together to this current position where I care a lot about making the world better. I know really good writing. I know how to do really good writing. And I also know a lot about social media management. I also know a lot about consumer behavior and all of that comes together to the job that I'm in now where, you know, I'm managing social media and audience growth for a huge site that exists for social good. So it was just a Lego tower of skills that I ended up here. Wow. And it sounds like passion and calling just really merged, you know, as you just continued your journey, continued, you know, accessing your excellence, continued the pressures of saying yes to new roles, you know, and I think that's also telling on how best to continue your service beyond the uniform. That's a really good point. I think that once you get out, you get to make a decision for yourself whether or not you want to continue doing a very service-oriented path for yourself or if you want that to be more on the sidelines or maybe you don't want that to be a part of your central identity at all. You get to decide how that manifest itself in your life. And I ended up finding that the thing that was really important to me was being able to use my brain all the time and that it was less important to have one-on-one -on -one interactions with people every day where I felt like I was making a difference in individual people's lives. But I wanted to feel very connected to a mission that was making the world better. And I sort of transitioned from having a very high-touch, mission-oriented position to a more diffuse, mission-oriented position that really leveraged my personal loves for how people work. And it checks both boxes for me in a way that's really great. And so I think being open and honest and introspective about what it is that you need in order to feel the most fulfilled is going to be the thing that gets you to the place where you actually are fulfilled in what you're doing every day. Wow. Wow. Well said. And I think that's going to resonate well as, as you know, veteran service members continue to look for what's next. I think hearing that it's a journey internally first that connects you to the external careers will be a much needed aha, their path. You know, I think at times, many of us, again, we just focus on the externals. We focus on the metrics that's easily codified and we just neglect the things that intrinsically feel good to us. And I think in career, as you mentioned, that we are getting to ask ourselves, what would we really want? And I think 
it's worth pursuing. And I think you showcase that really well in just your journey and how you connect it to something that allows you to be passionate every day. Okay, we're going to- Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. We're going to speed up a bit because I, I think these questions give us a bit shorter answers, but I think it's impactful as well. First one being, what values from the military do you bring to what you do today? You're going to laugh at this one, but punctuality, it's like, I thought about this one a lot. <laughs> and punctuality, it's shocking to me how late civilians are and how mm. surprised they are when people are on time. <laughs> like, got it, got time. It. It's really easy points on the board. Yeah. Um, but in all, seriously, in all seriousness, though, there are a few practices and habits that I bring to the table that makes me unique and sets me apart from other folks and even sets me apart from the version of myself that would have taken a path other than military service. It's not that like something intrinsic to me makes me just amazing, which is true, but also my military service really, you know, was a multiplier for that. Punctuality is really one of them, but leadership is also huge. Military leadership is all very holistic. You lead the whole person and a lot of civilian managers just lead the part of the person who does the job and avoids feeling any responsibility toward the rest of the person. And I'm definitely not that person. I recognize that my people are whole people. And if they have stuff going on at home that makes them bring less of their best self to work every day, then I have to recognize that that's something that needs to be addressed and find a way to address that that makes sense in the civilian context, but addresses the issues so that I can get the best out of my person. You know, obviously there isn't the same level of accountability, but it's really important to recognize that the, you can coach the whole person to their highest performing version of this, themselves. Also, the importance I place on intelligence gathering, I think, is something that sets me apart. A good commander doesn't send their troops off with no information. They send their troops off with the best available information. They try to identify and plan for the gaps in the information that they have, and they always go back and do an after-action review. Civilians call it a post-mortem, but I don't like that because it literally translates to from the Latin to after death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I stick with AAR, <laughs> but I always try to look back at what worked and what didn't and project forward ways to iterate and improve and it's really vital and core to military excellence. And it shows the people who supervise me that I am not afraid to learn from myself. And it also shows that I am willing to take responsibility for when things don't go exactly the way that they are supposed to, and that engenders trust. And so integrity, I guess, is the last one that I'll note, because I know that you know we want to accelerate a little bit. Integrity is so core to what the military stands for. And there have been times when the military has fallen short at times and individual service members, groups of service members have fallen short at times. But at the end of the day, it is so core to what we do. And I think in doing the right thing when no one is watching, even when the chips are down, even when doing the wrong thing would help me, that reputation of integrity is really priceless. Yeah, yeah. Just to recap, punctuality. Punctuality, Bernard. That's for you. Leadership. <laughs> Leadership. I promise I thought of that one before. <laughs> I love what you said about leading the whole person. And, you know, I'm going to play that for a lot of managers because I think they need to hear it that way. It's so easy, like you yeah. said, to ignore the whole person. Hey, you do the job, you did the job, move on. Versus, hey, you know, you didn't mention that, you know, your son or daughter was sick. And how's that going? And, and what can we do to make sure that you still have your work? time and you still have time to just kind of deep dive and nursing them back to health. I think just even mentioning it, you know, in the workplace, that would be revolutionary to many work environments. And I think people ignore it. And like you said, in the military, we learned that, that we lead the entire human being and you can really help them to excel in all areas of life. The intelligence gathering was really deep. I really just enjoyed how you broke that down. And, and I love the AAR. I think 
so important, but many people just kind of, they hit their target, they move on. They never just gather best results. What didn't work? What could we do better? And I think if we apply that, it just leaves a foundation and even a path for those coming behind us and integrity. You can go all day on integrity. It's just a core value. It's something that we all should embody. And, you know, as we apply that in our workspaces and in what we do, I think, you know, we'll see a lot more, not just truth, but decisions that you can track and then you know exactly the genesis of why things occurred. And I think, you know, at times things are a little bit muddy in what actually occurred because the highest levels of integrity weren't being brought to the table. And I think that's what veterans do really well. And it's not just in your professional life. It's also in your personal life. You should be doing AARs all the time. You know, why did that conversation with my significant other not go the way that I wanted it to? Why did I crash my car? Like anything that you do in your life that results in success or failure, you should take a beat, look back on it, see if there's something that you can carry forward that you should carry forward that you shouldn't carry forward as you navigate the rest of your life. Well said. Well said. Next question. What would you say to employers looking to employ veterans? Oh, this is easy because I've given this speech so many times. Close your eyes. Imagine a veteran. What you see is wrong. There is no one veteran. Veterans come in all shapes and sizes, every race, every religion, every gender, every orientation, every economic background, every educational background. You don't know anything about veterans. And when you don't know about something, it's time to seek out information. So seek out the veterans community in your area and learn. Talk to veterans groups. Talk to veterans service organizations. Go to events and go with open ears with the intention of listening. And then the other thing that I would say is do some simple cultural competency training. I have had multiple interviews with HR professionals and hiring managers who tried to engage me on my military service in grossly inappropriate ways, asking me if I killed anyone, asking me if I knew anyone who died, if I had any issues from my service. And now part of that is a cultural problem across the United States. Americans are not as connected to the military community as they used to be. Only a tiny, tiny slice of Americans personally know someone who has served in the military in any capacity. We're talking single digit percentages, but employers still need to make sure that people have that basic competency enough to know that they are not turning off talented veterans full of potential because they ask them an offensive question like, how many people have you killed in an interview? Nailed it. I nailed it. <laughs> so, and, <laughs> and yeah, problem persists and it exists. So to our employers listening, don't be ashamed. It's not a personal issue, but it can become one if you don't ask for help. Ask for help. We're out here. We're willing to sit down and have those conversations with you just to help you create a better environment to attract the best talent to your organization. Well said. Well it's, said. It's, it's such a basic marketing thing. Like if you were trying to capture a new consumer segment and you didn't know very much about that consumer segment because it's not something that you've pursued before, it's not someone that you interact with a bunch in your in your business activities, you would go do some research on them before you started to engage them. And so this is it's a really, really basic thing that employers need to make sure that they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nailed it. What would you say to service members right at the start of their transitions process? Also easy, also a speech I've done many, many times. First, embrace the veterans community early and often. Find healthy, supportive groups that are interested in lifting up veterans and stay away from communities that 
have negative vibes that are more about sort of giggling about what's going on as opposed to lifting each other up. You know, right now in the news, it's kind of died down a bit to my dismay, but it, the Marines United was, it was in the news for basically posting a bunch of pictures of naked Marines, naked female Marines. Like that's not veterans community. That's not military community. That's a bunch of dudes being jerks. So embrace the veterans community that is interested in lifting people up Make, engage with them early, engage with them often, engage with them honestly, because they have done what you are doing and they have so many lessons that they want to teach you. So reach out to those. If you can do it in person, try to do it in person, but there are lots of online resources as well. But making in-person conversations, making in-person connections is going to lead to more social connection, you feeling more connected to people because isolation is definitely something that a lot of veterans report as a stressor for them as they transition. And then second, proactively and intentionally expand your definition of self. You have been a military service member for the last however many years, and that has, was core to your identity. And now you are not that. You are something else. You are a veteran now, and you need to expand your definition of self. Otherwise, you're going to be clawing back for some for a community that you don't have access to anymore. And then lastly, be reflective. Look for the good things that you should continue to develop and the bad things that you should start to shed. There are lots of amazing skills and habits that we develop in the military that can be accelerators for us, but there are also skills and habits that are decelerators for us that do not lend themselves to success in a civilian arena. So you need to make sure that you are looking inward and figuring out what is working for me and what is not. Speechless again. I'm still on expand your definition of self. I was like, why didn't anyone tell me this? You know, I, I work extremely hard, but that specifically said that way just really changes the conversation. And I think, you know, many are going to respond well to that message. Wow. Now, what's your biggest ask of the veterans community as a whole? Police your spaces, I think, is the one that's going to be biggest for me, especially as a woman, especially as a person of color. There, as I was navigating the veterans community, there were some areas where I didn't feel comfortable, where I didn't feel welcome, that I didn't feel like people had my back. And that kind of turned me off to the veterans community for a long time. Part of the reason why I left my advocacy position in the veterans space and went to a more general uh, writing role is because I kept running into these issues where the veterans community spaces that I was seeking out were hostile to me or were unwelcoming to me, not necessarily hostile, but just unwelcoming to me because of my identity. And it's really important for people who don't carry those sorts of biases to police those spaces. Be the one who says like, dude, that's not cool. Why did you say that? Be the one who notices that nobody is talking to that particular vet. Let me go over and talk to him and say, hey, what's up? Introduce yourself. Be available to that person because you have no idea how you can change someone's life by just saying hello. Uh, you have no idea how much you can change someone's life by telling them to stop doing something harmful. So I would say police your spaces is, uh, you know, police your buddies, call them out when they're doing stuff that's not cool and praise them for doing things that are cool. Praise them for when they support other people, praise them for when they provide resources to people, when they provide a really amazing sort of knowledge bomb for a problem that a particular vet is running into. And the more that we do that, the more active we are about that, the more effective our spaces will be for lifting each other up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So veterans community, I know you're listening, police your spaces. Stop ignoring the obvious issues that you see. All right. 
Last question. What book would you recommend to the Veterans Leadership Blog podcast listeners? Oh, that's so easy. Freakonomics. That is a book that totally changed my whole deal. <laughs> um, it's a book by two economists, behavioral econ economists, who they studied some weird problems, weird correlations that they noticed out in the world and basically identified some really interesting ways that problems can come up because of the way that we think, that we are unaware that um, we think in certain ways. And it set me on this whole path of learning about biases and learning about like hidden tendencies that we have that are due to our prehistoric wiring. And it's so interesting. If you want to completely hack the way that your brain works, start with that book. It's a really entertaining book. It's super, super fun. It's a really easy read. And it's just very illuminating. I like that you brought that up. I've, I read it a while back and you know, I definitely need to revisit it. But you're right. It challenges everything that you feel you know, you want to believe. And it just really helps you step beyond some of you know, your unconscious biases and puts things right in your face with the data that you can access. And it's just so accessible. Yeah, it, when you think of the phrase behavioral economics does not sound particularly accessible. It sounds like some really intense stuff. But the way the stories that they chose really make it very accessible. So I honestly, there's not a single person who will read this book and not view the world differently. It's great. Powerful, powerful. Any parting piece of guidance for our listeners as we close? I would just want to encourage everyone again to take care of their whole selves, take care of your body, take care of your mind, take care of your spirit. It's really, really important. And there are little changes that you can make in your life that will have a huge difference over time. Every single day, you make choices that determine who you are, and you can change little tiny, tiny, tiny things to make yourself healthier, make your body healthier, to make your mind healthier, to take better care of your emotions and your spirit. So look for those little nudges that you can change, tiny things that are easy, that aren't you know humongous changes. Don't start P90X tomorrow, but maybe take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. if you take care of your body, your whole self, you're just going to have a better life. You're going to enjoy your life much more because you're going to be able to access your best self. Love it. Tiny adjustments, small adjustments still lead to big changes. So well said, well said. Where can people follow your work or find you online? I am all over the internet. I am very Googleable. So if you're particularly curious, just throw my name into Google. But you can also find me on Twitter at OhSoOrdinary. Great, great. Well, thank you again for uh, being on the show and thank you for your wisdom. And we're going to have to do another episode. <laughs> Sounds good. I'd do it anytime. Great. Thank you.